I hope I'm having impact. Uh, so, but I mean, the thing we should look at is the graph which show how the emissions increase or reduce. And right now, that's still increasing globally. So, this is not over yet. Not even close. I mean, the bottom line is that Greta has a fantastic message. And uh, it is coming from a child's point of view. So kind of saying to the grown-ups, I said, guys, you can screw around all you want, but it is our future. It's not yours. Greetings from Vienna. Welcome to Political Climate, a bipartisan podcast on energy and environmental issues in America, presented by the USC Schwarzenegger Institute and the Leonardo DiCaprio Foundation. I'm Julia Piper, contributing editor at Green Tech Media, and this week we're on the road in Vienna at the R20 Austrian World Summit. It's a forum created to help regions, states, and cities implement the UN Sustainable Development Goals and to meet the Paris Agreement targets. We're here at our makeshift podcast studio in our hotel with Shane Skelton, our Republican, a partner at S2C Pacific, and a former energy advisor to House Speaker Paul Ryan, and Brandon Hurlbut, our Democrat, partner at Boundary Stone Partners, and former chief of staff at the Department of Energy under Secretary Stephen Chu. How are you guys feeling after a week in Vienna, besides like still jet lagged? Shane? Super tired, super jet lagged, but totally worth it. Had such a great time, got to see so many things. And of course, being in Austria with Governor Schwarzenegger is just amazing. I mean, this is his home. He's in his element. Um, you know, We were able to get obviously very good access to the event and spend time with him and some of the other participants in the green room. So it's just been a killer, killer experience. Yeah, he was definitely in his element. It was fun to see the crowd go crazy and We actually had a minute to catch up with Schwarzenegger after the event wrapped up. And we also had a chance to speak with Greta Thunberg, the youth climate activist. She was here. She gave a speech. She gave actually multiple speeches. And we got to catch up with her on site. So stay tuned for that interview a little later in the show. Plus, we touched on the recent EU parliament elections, which saw the Green Party make big gains. But first, let's hear from the governor about his takeaways from the Austrian World Summit and what he thought of meeting Greta. Governor, we just wanted to get a bit of color from you of what it's like to be back in your home country at this R20 event. How did this year's event compare? Uh, what do you think? Well, you know, this event's getting bigger each time. Obviously, I think the first time when you have an event like that, people say, oh, uh, another environmental event. I don't know if I want to go or not. Then the word of mouth, you know, this is the most important thing is always word of mouth. It's no different than in movies or anything else. When people go out and say, this was great, rather than you having to publicize it or pressure people into it or beg them to come. I I think the word of mouth was so good after the first conference that the second one was huge. So now this is the third one. It was even bigger than the second one. We had more uh, of everything. You know, we had more environmental leaders here. We had more academic leaders here, more business leaders. Uh, We had more, you know, uh, I think uh, political leaders here. So everything came together here. It was really terrific. And financial community, you know, the World Bank, the head of the World Bank, all these people came together. The UN Secretary General Gutierrez, who is a very important player because the UN was really in charge of putting everyone together to uh, come up with this agreement with COP21. And uh, so I, I think it was fantastic. And I think Austria and uh, Monica Langtala, the woman that runs everything for us, they've done really an extraordinary job. So we're very happy about it. Yeah, it's been fun to be here. Yeah, and it was great. And the other thing is, as you could see, is uh, which I was very excited about, and that is the outdoor event. 
what they call in German Kirtag. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is basically, it's kind of a uh, festival because of the, the location. It only it restricts us to 1,300 people, but there were thousands of people that wanted to come to the Environmental Summit to listen to the speeches. So what uh, Monica came up with was the great idea of to do something afterwards outside. I was a little bit concerned about it because of the weather predictions here, you know what I'm saying? Uh, because sometimes it rains, so how do you have an outside event and when it rains? But we were very lucky. God blessed us <laughs> and that there's two hours of the event and the outdoor event and there was no rain. And it rained it the like moment you left. <laughs> and as soon as the event was over, it started, it started raining rain. again. So I was very happy. We had 17,000 people there and it was really extraordinary. Both you and Greta got the crowd really going with different messages on climate. How do, how do you think that went? I think really fantastic. The, the, as you could see, the crowd really connected. And uh, I mean, the bottom line is that Greta has a fantastic message. And uh, it is coming from a child's point of view. So kind of saying to the grown-ups, I said, guys, you can screw around all you want, but it is our future. It's not yours. And it's our future. If you get it wrong, it's not you that are going to pay for it. We're going to pay for it. And so it comes from a child's point of view. So you kind of sympathize with that and you kind of feel it hits you much more in the heart and much more, it's an emotional kind of a message rather than just talking about facts and figures, you know, but, uh, you know, how many greenhouse gases we have to reduce and the, the, the one and a half degrees versus two degrees. And all that sometimes goes over people's heads. But the way she speaks, it connected with the people and you could see the reaction of the people. Yeah, Governor, thanks so much for your time. Thanks Absolutely. for having us here in Vienna. It's great to have you here. Uh, it's, it's, it's really fantastic because this is the whole idea is to get this message across to everyone around the world. And uh, the day we had all kinds of interesting breakout sessions and I just uh, cruised around from one to the next. And they were really fantastic because, you know, subjects such as uh, one breakout session was about financing. How do you finance green projects? Which is a really important question to answer because there's a lot of people that have great ideas how to move forward and what they want to do, but you don't have the financing. So I always say without money, you have nothing. And uh, then there was another section about uh, you know pollution versus global climate change. Well, there was a woman there, for instance, from England who, whose child died and on her death certificate it says pollution was the cause. So this is the first time we have seen that. So that was really extraordinary to have her talk about pollution and not something that's going to happen down the line, but something that's happening right now. Pollution. Pollution is killing people. So that was a great, great breakout, breakout session. And the other one was about communication. How do we communicate this to the mass? How do we communicate this that, that everyone understands this is not just a danger that's going to happen 20 years from now, but it's right now with us here. And I was telling them the, uh, you know, kind of the example that we had in California when the oil and coal companies were trying to take us out of all of our environmental laws and put them in deep freeze and how we had to fight back. And we finally, on the end, found the right message, which was the health issue about asthma and about how many people die and how many people get sick. And the debt connected with the people and then we won with 61% of the votes. So uh, there's a great, great breakout sessions where people can learn. And I was telling them, I said, the interesting thing is when I go around to those breakout sessions, I say, you know, you realize that the smarter you get, the more you realize how dumb you really are. 
You know, because it's like you, 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 I learned in each one of the breakout sessions, I learned something. I said, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So we really learn from those things. So it's, it's, it's really great to just grow and to learn and to get smarter about this. Shane and I learned in your home country that schnitzel and Austrian beer are very bipartisan. Well, yeah. And, and this is a, a serious <laughs> question, not a political one. I, I wanted authentic schnitzel. You told us to get authentic schnitzel. So we went to a local bar. And I ordered the schnitzel, but they only had uh, pork schnitzel and turkey schnitzel. And I said, no, I'm told that authentic schnitzel is veal. He said, not anymore. That, that's an old thing. So is that well, right? No. Most important question of the discussion. In, in, all, in all honesty, uh, I think that my mother, when she made schnitzels, she made sometimes uh, schnitzels from pork meat and sometimes from veal. You know? So it was both. I never had uh, turkey uh, schnitzel or something like that, uh, but I mean, I mean, those are the two schnitzels. There. So it depends, you know. Some people because uh, pork costs less, so I think that people buy a lot of times pork schnitzels. It's just more calories. But who wants to count anyway when you start eating schnitzels, right? I mean, it's, just, it's not the leanest it's not food in to town, go. right? It's, it's, it's not like we're eating just salmon or something like that. But anyway, it was great to talk to you Thank guys. You so yeah, much. Have Thank a lot so of beer, have a lot of schnitzels, and remember the Sacher Tort. Huh? This is a really there's a hotel called here Sacha, where you can get the original tort, the original cake. I mean, it's like pie. It's like fantastic. It's no chocolate. calories in that one. Though. And it's a, a very low in calories. Uh, of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Thank See you, you guys. Sir. Thank you. Besides Arnold, one of the biggest guests at the Austrian World Summit this week was Greta Thunberg. She's the 16-year-old Swedish youth climate activist who's been protesting the inaction on climate for months now. And it started as just her outside the Swedish parliament. And now she's got more than 1.5 million people all around the world joining her in this protest every Friday. And she has this remarkable ability to just say things like they are. She has no shame in holding truth to power and speaking her mind. And I think it puts a lot of people on edge. Uh, And yet she continues and has not waned at all in her messaging. And she's certainly brought it this week. So first we want to share with you a clip from her speech at the Austrian World Summit where she calls on policymakers, celebrities, CEOs, and journalists to fulfill their responsibility as public figures to lead on addressing climate change. You cannot rely on people reading between the lines or searching the information themselves to read through the latest IPCC report track the Keeling curve, or keep tabs on the world's rapidly disappearing carbon budget. You have to explain that to us repeatedly, no matter how uncomfortable or unprofitable that may be. And yes, a transformed world will include lots of new benefits, but you have to understand This is not primarily an opportunity to create new green jobs, new businesses, or green economic growth. This is above all an emergency, and not just any emergency. This is the biggest crisis humanity has ever faced. This is not something you can like on Facebook. When I first heard about the climate and ecological breakdown, I actually didn't believe that this could be happening. Because how could it be? How could we be facing an existential crisis that would threaten our very survival, and yet that wasn't our first priority? 
If there really was a crisis this big, then we would rarely talk about anything else. As soon as you turned on the TV, almost everything would be about that. Headlines, radio, newspapers. You would almost never hear or read about anything else. And the politicians would surely have done what was needed by now, wouldn't they? They would hold crisis meetings all the time, declare climate emergencies everywhere, and spend all their waking hours handling the situation and informing the people what was going on. But it never was like that. The climate crisis was just treated like any other issue, or even less than that. Every time you heard a politician speak about this, they never talked with urgency. According to them, there were always countless of new technologies and simple solutions that, when put in place, would solve everything. Politicians one second say, climate change is very important, it is the most important topic, and we are going to do everything we can to stop it. And the next second, they want to expand airports, build new coal power plants and motorways, and then they fly off in a private jet to attend a meeting on the other side of the world. That is not how you act in a crisis. Greta is not one to shy away from bold statements. So, Shane, I'm curious what you made of her latest comments. I mean, yeah, we've talked a little bit about, you know, what I think, at least, about uh, a teenager addressing world leaders in that way. So I don't think we should do that now. I was actually quite impressed with her speech. She's a good speaker. Um, She obviously had a very well-written speech, which I've come to understand she writes for herself. And I think I probably would have been nervous in front of an audience that included several presidents and, and others. So I was very impressed with her in that way. The thing that really stuck out to me, Julie, in that clip that you played is I've long thought of solving climate change, you know, running on a parallel track with doing something cool in our economy, with creating green jobs, green technologies, building, you know, an economy of the future that can benefit everyone. For me, it's always been a win-win. Cleaner air, cleaner water, better economy, uh, more growth, more going on. And she kind of bluntly pointed out that's not the goal. That's not the case. These things are not on a parallel track. We have an emergency. That's the issue. Let's not pretend like it's something else. And honestly, especially, you know, I'd like to hear Brandon's feedback on that because that is not consistent with the last decade's worth of of thought, I think, in the U.S. anyway. Yeah, it's, you know, I am excited about the green jobs and the economic growth that can come uh, with dealing with climate. But her message is so direct. And if you think about it, you know, what the scientists have been saying for 40 years We've seen it to be true. The experiences that we're having, I mean, it is an emergency. It is a crisis. And it's refreshing to hear somebody, I think, have the courage to say it that directly. And it may not work for everybody. Different messages can work for different audiences. Uh, But I do think people are hungry for truth. And she is speaking the truth like nobody else right now. Because that's the thing. Like, it's not about messaging for her not just about messaging anyway I think she's responding to what the scientists are saying and I'm pretty sure a lot of scientists would agree you cannot just tinker around the edges there aren't enough solar panels to completely solve this issue this has to do with agriculture has to do with flight and transportation and harder to get at areas of the economy that are harder to decarbonize 
And that I think is what Greta is saying is like we have to change the way we live our lives to some extent because just going clean electricity, for instance, is is not enough. These one off solutions are not enough. And, and here's where that makes me really uncomfortable. You know, one, I don't agree with it. I don't think that's true. You don't think that's true that, that you can solve climate change to a place that is, you know, sustainable for the for future generations without doing more wholesale change. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a climate scientist, so I, I can't give you a model, but I don't think that I don't think our two options are, you know, ground every flight or don't solve the problem. I refuse to believe that's true. And what I worry about is that if that's what people come to believe, we're never going to tackle this challenge. I mean, when the FAQ came out around the Green New Deal, a lot of the debate now is Green New Deal supporters are saying, this is a straw man argument. You're giving Americans a false choice. We didn't say that. That was an errant document. The FAQ being the additional document that was released in and around the Green New Deal resolution. But, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's office said that was a mistake and actually retracted. Fine, I'll take them at their word, but now we're saying that. And, and I just don't believe that. I don't believe the solution to climate change is no one flies, no one eats meat. Um, I don't think that's true. But if it is true, I can tell you politically we're never going to solve it because that's just not a place where I think most people want to live. It could also just be an alternative, though. There could be cleaner forms of jet fuel. There could be a meat alternative so people aren't having at least quite as much of an impact on the environment when they when they eat. So it doesn't have to be all like cut off. Uh, she, I think she personally, to like practice what she preaches, does not fly. I, I believe she's vegetarian. So she is trying to be the person she's asking everyone to be, which I actually have to say is kind of admirable because as she points out, even for us, you know, we fly all over the world to these climate conferences. And there is an irony there that, you know, she has no shame in, in pointing to. You know, on our show, I enjoy debating the different solutions, you know, to solve this problem. But I think she is identifying the problem in a, in a different way that you know most people talk about it but it's also backed up by science <laughs> she's talking about it in the way that the scientists are telling us what are the consequences of this if we do not act and she's so, pointing that out in a very direct way so you think that in order to tackle this challenge we've got to stop flying no i don't there got could it. be alternatives <laughs> <laughs> well what do you think that like i would invest in in biofuels so mm -hmm. that we can run our plane on that. I mean, there are companies out there that are doing this. Mm -hmm. This is not a far-fetched idea. Landsatec, you know, Jennifer Holmgren's company, they flew an airplane across the Atlantic, uh, Virgin Airplane. Richard Branson greeted the plane. Now, mm -hmm. it wasn't 100%, you know, renewable fuel, but it was, you know, a good portion. And do we have to solve that in the next 30 years? Yeah, let's throw some money at it and figure it out. Well, Brandon, I have to also say you were a journalist this week. You had the mic and you went up to Greta and asked her a question and had a moment to, to put a question to her about her message to send back to folks in the U.S. So let's go to that. Greta, young people in America are starting to wake up. The Sunrise Movement is organizing young people to protest and generating attention to climate change. What have you learned so far that you can say to our listeners about your organizing? I think just to stick to your message and don't come with any demands, any specific demands. Leave that to the scientists because we don't have the proper education to do that. Now we should only focusing on speaking on behalf of the scientists and telling people to listen to them. And uh, that is what I'm trying to do. And to not have opinions yourself, but always refer to science. And do you think you're having impact so far? What are you seeing? I hope I'm having impact. Uh, so, but I mean, the thing we should look at is the graph which show how the emissions increase or reduce and right now they're still increasing globally so 
this is not over yet. Not even close. Thank you for your time, Greta. You're a really inspiration to us. So Greta made a good point there, which is that global emissions are going up. The Paris Climate Agreement uh, targets are not anywhere close to being met. That was actually a message that we heard loud and clear from the UN chief, Antonio Guterres, while he was here at the same event. So I think that's important to underscore. There is an issue here. Brandon, what did you make of that exchange? Yeah, she... I think she's right. She's a, she's a child. It's it's when you talk to her, and you stand next to her, you realize. I mean, I'm short. She's like, you know, up to my shoulder. She's a she's a, she's 16 years old, and she shouldn't have to figure out the solutions. This is on us. I did feel like a a pang like in my like gut, like feeling I'm an adult and feeling even though I've worked so hard on this issue, like. I don't, you know, feeling like a little like bit wasn't of a failure. Yeah. yeah, you know, and so it really, it, there is this like emotional connection to when uh, a child is telling you like, I'm scared and I want this fixed and like figure this out. And so it was, it was really uh, an emotional moment, I think. And a moment where we had a really unique insight. She has this presence on stage that we got to see, but being backstage with her talking to her informally, doing the interview, just it just drives home that she's a young girl who in the United States would be like getting her driver's license right now, thinking about prom. And here she is having to educate adults about what their job is, what they should be doing, how we should be facing this existential threat. And that just seems absurd that we would put have to put that on a 16-year-old girl. I thought it was interesting when Arnold spoke at the conference and he noted how she started protesting all on her own originally in front of the Swedish parliament. Um, And then he ended his speech by saying that those who defend the fossil fuel industry, those who refuse to accept the climate science, they will be the ones at the end of the day who will be all alone if they fight to the end on this. And just generally, seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger next to this small girl uh, is an interesting sight. You know, he's this muscular um, bodybuilder, action figure type of character, a governor, and she is this student activist. And uh, they kind of hit it off at the event, it seemed. I don't really know what their conversations in private were like, but he was truly coming out as her champion. And that's curious because they do have different kinds of messages. Greta's is a little more oriented around fear, a bit more doom and gloom. Arnold does talk more about, you know, agency, taking control, having power, a a little more positive, I would say, overall. And nonetheless, he came out and championed her cause at this event this is what we're going to need julia to solve this problem young and old coming together uh people with different views people with different messages but we're all going to have to unite together to solve this and to see those two be able to bond from such different backgrounds uh was i think gives me some hope yeah, I think there is a generational issue at stake here i think we see this in in voting results that Younger people are voting one way, older people are voting another, not just in Europe, not just in the U.S., really all over the globe. And so to your point, seeing some alliance on that around a cause is is something kind of different. You don't always get these days. Julia, I've been in so many political meetings with pollsters, with candidates, where they're 
recommendation on talking about this issue is more along the lines of how Arnold talks about it, uh, focusing on jobs, focusing on pollution and health, because that's what the data shows uh, from polling. They actually say, don't talk about doomsday, don't use you know climate change. Uh, but Greta is showing that maybe that is changing because her approach is totally different and it seems to be resonating. Millions of people are coming out with her. Although on that note of positive versus negative, Greta did say at this climate cure talk that, you know, even small people can make a big difference or something to that effect. And I thought that was so interesting that she was trying to put the power in the people's hands. And it's actually something Arnold Schwarzenegger also says is power to the people. So that no matter who the messenger is, is a broad theme I think we're seeing in politics today where the people are getting more engaged, literally going out on the streets, uh, climate being a top issue, but also other social issues right now. I think it's just an interesting moment in politics. I feel like people are taking more agency. And feeling like their elected officials have failed. Yeah, across the board. We have these huge problems that we've had for a long time across many different issues, You know, whether it is immigration or healthcare or wealth inequality. And people are not seeing criminal justice reform. People are not seeing the change that they want. And this is, like Greta says, an existential threat. That, and if people aren't seeing action on it or enough action, and she's calling it out. Although the Europeans did take some action just in this past week with their vote. So let's turn to the EU parliamentary elections. <laughs> Europeans went to the polls this past week to elect the new members of the European Parliament. So this was a vote that took place all across the continent. And one of the major trends that emerged was a major win for the Green Party in several countries, including Germany and France. They now have 70 seats, and that's a meaningful number because the EU Parliament needs to make coalitions in order to get things done. There was more polarization, I will also add. Right-wing groups did see a fair number of votes, although they didn't create a wipeout. It wasn't a nationalist movement in the way some people had, had predicted. What do you guys think of the fact that Green Party members saw a very strong showing in Europe? It seems like there's this populist swing happening across the world, and yet you saw climate change emerging above almost all else as an issue people were rallying around. I think it's a really interesting predictor because... When we all, that night in November of 2016, when we were shocked that Donald Trump won, and you sort of rewind the tape, and you look at Brexit, and you're like, oh, you know, that yeah. should have been a predictor. You know, we think that these things that happen in Europe don't really affect American elections, but there was this, like, undercurrent going on, and that is the same undercurrent, I think, that propelled Trump uh, to office. And so we could be seeing the same thing in Europe here where young people came out and got those Greens elected. And young people came out in 2018 in the midterms to deliver, you know, uh, power back to Democrats. If we, we might be seeing a wave of young activism, what Greta's doing, what Sunrise is doing, what's happening with the Green elections in the European Parliament, that could happen in 2020 and that could change what the electorate looks like. And Green Party has actually credited Greta Thunberg, the youth climate activist, with helping bring attention to the issue and mobilizing the youth, which then put pressure on their parents. And so that was a very tangible way in which it appears her protests have influenced politics. Yeah. So where you see a predictor, I see a lagging indicator. I, I'm not well versed in EU politics, to be sure, but I try to read up and sort of get an understanding of what the results meant. And what I saw was basically the middle held in a certain way, but you had more uh, individuals elected on the more extreme sides of either, you know, I don't I don't know, if, you know, how they identify here, if it's left, right, or if it's, you know, conservative and greener, 
whatever it is. Basically, but. their right is like our Democrats. <laughs> no, so, there are legitimate <laughs> fascists in some countries. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't understand it, but it seems to me that it's a lagging indicator of the U.S. whereby the parliament is becoming more polarized. It seems like the numbers are building up on the sides and not really holding as much as they could in the middle. So I see you know, the, the Tea Party wave of 2010 and then whatever we want to call what just happened in 2018, I'm seeing this as a lagging indicator of that rather than a predictor of what's going to happen in two years. You know, we're having a lot of discussions around the country about electability. And Steve Bannon, you know, said in 2016 that there was this missing white vote. And a lot of people laughed at him. A lot of Democrats sure did. And he was right. He turned out a sort of rural white vote that hadn't been voting in the past. And so when we think about what electability is, we don't really know what the electorate will look like. And that can change if millennials and lots of young people come out and increase their share of the vote. Um, there could be other states that are in play that may we may not think are in play, or it could really affect a state like Pennsylvania because um, if young people show up there and sort of counteract some of that Trump base, it may make Pennsylvania look very different. Yeah, I mean, electability is an issue that obviously you know Republicans aren't looking at right now because you're in a, in a Democratic primary to see who's going to take on uh, the incumbent, of course, President Donald Trump. Um, I am quite fascinated by it, to be honest, and I think I might be more interested in it than I would be if it were a Republican primary because I have no skin in the game. I'm watching this, you know, like I'd watch a football game that, that doesn't have my team playing, whereby I'm not sure. Like, I, I, I truly believe to my core that if Democrats wanted to win this election, they'd put forward someone who's electable. And in my view, that's Joe Biden, just because we're looking at, you know, the, the narrow states of Pennsylvania, Ohio, Wisconsin, Michigan, maybe Florida being in play. Um, obviously, California's cooked. New York's cooked. We, we sort of know how the map lines up. But it will be interesting to see, one, if Democratic primary voters feel that way, if they care about electability, or if they view electability differently you know, than I do. Even if they do care about it, they might, they might sort of manifest that differently. So I am very sort of excited as just a, 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 someone who, who really enjoys politics, a political connoisseur, to watch how this primary season plays out for you all. Yeah, and we're seeing climate change be a bigger issue in the Democratic primary, just like it was a meaningful factor in these European elections. So young people voting, climate being a priority, that could be very good for Democrats. Yeah, and I'm interested too, and, and of course we'll have years to talk about this, but if a Democrat comes out of the primary that led with a really strong climate message, whether whether it's a Jay Inslee who based his campaign on it, or just you know another candidate who's, who's elevated the issue— do they stick to those same issues in a general election or does Donald Trump shift the playing field to what he wants to be talking about and how effective of a messenger is whoever comes out of your side by staying on point in the issues that they ran through their primary rather than moving to what he wants to be talking about in the general? This is one thing as the Canadian in the room that kind of sucks about the two party system is you can't get an issue candidate in Congress or elected in a way that really has power like the way that the Greens have power in the EU parliament now is they can again make coalitions they can potentially influence policy you have one climate candidate like Jay Inslee uh, and so he just can't have the same impact of course there's a Green Party in the U.S. but uh, creating a third party in that system is just just doesn't really work well people do create you know caucuses within their party so for example you have the congressional black caucus and sometimes they stick together for votes to make sure that their voting block is represented you have the the house freedom caucus which is the really conservative republicans who again may agree to all vote for something or against something based on certain provisions usually not for something 
usually not for something. But I mean, I guess my point is that you're right. We don't have a third party or fourth party or several parties. But there are members who care about certain issues that agree to vote and block to try to force those issues to the forefront. Yeah. I mean, what would be interesting is seeing people ditch their party to vote in blocks on issues maybe a little more often. That could be a lot more interesting politics, but we're just not seeing that super often in the U.S. these days. Uh, In terms of things getting done, one of the big takeaways from this EU parliament election, which for reference, the European Parliament is a directly elected legislative body of the European Union, and they have great power in determining what the EU ultimately does. And so one of the proposals from the European Commission, a separate body within the EU, is to make the EU carbon neutral by 2050. And that would need to be approved by the European Parliament. So now that seems a lot more likely after this week's election. But as Shane noted, uh, there is a lot of polarization coming out of this last election with populist parties also seeing some success, and they typically vote against climate policies in the parliament. So we'll have to see as to what actually gets done. And now it's time to say something nice where our Democrat and Republican co-hosts have to say something redeeming about the opposing political party. Brandon, what do you have this week? My say something nice um, will include many Republicans, uh, but it also includes Democrats. I wanted to say something to the veterans out there. We just celebrated Memorial Day. um, And uh, when I was on the Obama campaign in 2000. 7, 2008, I, one of my jobs was to organize veterans in New Hampshire. So I spent a lot of time uh, talking to them about their experiences. Some were in Vietnam, many in Iraq and in Afghanistan. And if you didn't see the tweet that was out there that the Army put out where they said, what is the impact of you know, serving, in, serving our country uh, in war been on, on your family? And it was just gut-wrenching to read the responses, you know, the PTSD um, and the issues that people struggle with when they come back. And I heard those stories, you know, myself uh, in New Hampshire with many, many, many veterans. And so I just wanted to say thank you to all of those veterans, Republicans and Democrat, um, who served our country and, um, you know, some gave everything. Yeah, so on, on Brandon's, uh, obviously, I, I, I second everything he said. Interestingly, about the um, the tweet, I kind of had mixed emotions. And one way you're seeing all this gut-wrenching stuff and you just feel terrible for the, for the toll that people have paid. On the other hand, they're voicing these things. And I think, you know, we've seen a veteran suicide skyrocket in recent years. And I think part of that is that they're forced to internalize their pain. So hopefully just being able to, to sort of express yourself and know that people are listening and that they care uh, will, will make, some, you know, help make some progress on that front. Um, uh, so my say something nice is for former president of California Senate, Kevin DeLeon, who is also a senior fellow at the Schwarzenegger Institute and is out here in Austria for the R20 Austrian World Summit as well. Um, interestingly, he, he's the author, for those who don't remember, of SB100, California's Renewable Energy Bill, and just a really, really nice guy and a really good time. And it's just another reminder, and I get these all the time, that you know I don't necessarily agree with everything that, that the California legislature's done you know, under his leadership, but just a really good person who obviously cares and wants to be helpful and wants to be, you know, learn and, and participate. And hopefully he'll be on the show. We had some talks about that uh, in future episodes, but a really, really wonderful guy. And I just never knew I'd have the experience to spend some time with him. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, this whole trip was just awesome. I mean, Europe's just generally awesome. I think the coffee's better. The, the wine's delicious. Smaller. It's just better though. 
with that said, schnitzel time? Yeah, one last schnitzel before heading back to Los Angeles tomorrow. In a carbon-polluting airplane. Ugh. And with that, it's the end of our show. Thanks, as always, for listening. And remember to subscribe to Political Climate on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you like to listen. Thanks also to Victoria Simon, who is our producer and makes the show possible. She was indispensable this week in getting us around to our interviews. Uh, so thanks so much to her. And you can also find us on Twitter. We are at poly underscore climate. Tweet at us. We'll have some other interviews coming up from this week's uh, tour, including with the head of the UN and astronaut Scott Kelly. So stay tuned for those. Thanks as always. Until soon. Okay, just uh, let's just start all over again because there was someone talking. Yes. With the lack of discipline in this room. <laughs> you got a mic unbelievable. stand. Unbelievable. You got a mic stand. It's total silencio por favor. We rapido. We did no. bring a mic stand this time. Yeah, you're <laughs> okay, upgraded. <good>. Okay. <laughs>